Welcome to this episode of Sunday Life. If you're here for the first time, I want to welcome you to Sunday Life. Uh, Sunday Life is a ministry that is focused on making every day Sunday. Kind of how I started out, the inspiration that God gave me that as believers, every day that we live in this world should be a day that's filled with the Son of God. That's what I mean by every day being Sunday. I want to present the teachings of the Word of God in a way that it becomes a natural part of yours and my normal everyday thoughts or discussions that we have with other people, the actions that we have in our life. It just becomes normal. I want to help you make your relationship with Christ organic. As we begin this episode, uh, some of you might be coming late. Um, I did change the time. We normally were meeting at 7.30 Central Time, 8.30 Eastern, 5.30 on the West Coast. I moved that to 7, where we're starting now, and that's the way it's going to be moving forward. So uh, just so everybody remembers, I put it in the emails that I send out if you're on if you're one of our subscribers or if you're on our email list, then you've got those emails that noted the New Times about a month ago. As we move forward, uh, in a previous episode entitled Questioning the Return of Christ, we looked at some questions about the coming of Jesus. Now I'm asking, did Jesus already come? There's a link to that previous episode below this video. Now, as believers, are we expecting a future second coming of Christ? It's okay to have questions. Don't be concerned about having questions or asking questions. That's natural, especially as we grow and we learn from God. It's okay to have those questions, and it's okay to search for answers. The disciples asked Jesus a lot of questions. As we go through Psalms, we see David questioning and asking questions of God as he struggled with a lot of different things in his life. We learn by asking questions. Asking questions about God leads us as believers to know Jesus Christ, to know his salvation, to question our life, and to look into there's got to be more to life than this leads us to finding Christ. Now, if we're afraid to ask questions, then we're not going to get anywhere. We can't be afraid to ask questions. I know sometimes we don't ask questions because we're afraid that if people might think that our faith isn't strong because we have questions, we have a lack of faith, but that's not the case. Having questions is a sign of growth. In Matthew 24, 3, which we started out on this series, when the disciples asked Jesus for the sign of his coming, were, were they asking about a second coming? No, the disciples didn't know anything about a second coming. They literally didn't even know that Jesus was leaving. Their question was, what will be the sign of his coming kingdom? They believed that he was the Messiah, and the Messiah would bring a kingdom to Israel. 
to the Jew, there were only two times, there were only two ages. This age, the age they lived in, and the coming age, the age of the Messiah coming, the next age, the new age. Those are the only two ages that the Jews knew about. So Jesus gives them the sign in Matthew 24, 30. Now remember, again, the audience is Jewish. That's who he's talking to. They're listening to him with Jewish ears. So let's read this verse and try to understand it from their perspective. The sign, the word, Greek word there, sign means a mark, like a mark on the wall, a mark on the, you know, on the door. The sign, the mark of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Now, the Greek word here for sky is oranos, which is used here for sky, but it also means heaven. So the sign of the Son of Man will be seen or manifest or appear in heaven. So this isn't a visible sign in the sky for the world to see. That's what he's saying. And then the people of the earth, the Greek word here for earth means land. We've talked about this before. The people of the land or the tribes are the Jews. They are the ones who are living in the land. So when it's saying here that, and all then all the peoples of the earth, that's of the land, the peoples of the land are the Jews. So these Jews who live in the land, it's not talking about the entire population of the world, only the Jews. They will mourn, not because they killed their Messiah, but because the temple and Jerusalem have been destroyed. They're seeing this destruction and they're mourning that destruction, the people of the land, the Jews. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. As we've said in previous episodes, this is directly from Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, where the Son of Man, that same term is used as coming in the clouds to, and he appears in the presence or is presented to the Ancient of Days, God, and there he receives his kingdom. So, Seeing here in this verse in the Greek does mean to see, but it also means to be astonished, to see with astonishment. So the Jews are mourning. They're mourning the destruction of Jerusalem. And then they're astonished and they recognize the reference from Daniel and Jesus being their Messiah. Now it's all coming back to them, this prophecy that he made, this judgment that now has come upon Jerusalem and the temple, the Messiah has received his eternal kingdom, and they're recognizing this now. That's the mark, that's the sign that they see in the heavens, because it's coming from heaven. The judgment upon Jerusalem and upon the temple is coming from heaven. And so they recognize it, they're astonished by it, but it's too late. So when did this happen? As we've discussed previously, the coming of Christ was brought up by the New Testament writers, and they used phrases like, will soon take place, the time is near, 
as they wrote their letters to the churches, they were saying, hold on. Jesus says, hold on until I come. I am coming soon. Be ready, because he's soon to appear. And then we remember that in Matthew 24, 34, Jesus said that that generation that he was speaking to, that audience of Jews that was standing in front of him in AD 33, would not pass away until these things would take place. Now, within Scripture, typically a generation is 40 years. It's many different passages in Scripture to, to kind of work that out. But one of the basic ones is that Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until the generation, Israel was going to go into the Promised Land almost immediately from escaping from uh, Egypt. But when they scouted out the land, they didn't believe that God could give them that land because the people who lived there were powerful. And so that generation that lacked faith wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until they died out. And then after that 40-year generation wandering, then they entered the promised land. So that's where we get a generation being 40 years. So it's clear from the New Testament that the disciples and the believers in the first century, that though they didn't know the, ex the exact date or the hour, were expecting the coming of Christ very, very soon, in their day, in their generation. So the sign of the Son of Man appeared in heaven, as described in Daniel, in AD 70, within that 40-year generation time period. That generation did not pass away. The coming of Christ in power and authority was seen by the Jews as they mourned the destruction of the Temple of Jerusalem and the fulfilling of the ending of the Mosaic Covenant, the ending of the age they were in. This age to them was ending with the judgment and the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, how did they see the coming of Jesus? How does someone see into heaven? How do we see? We look up and we can see into heaven. We do have an example of this given to us in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 7, verses 51 through 56, this is the story of Stephen in the book of Acts as after the day of Pentecost has come, the Holy Spirit has come upon the disciples. They're preaching in Jerusalem. The, the day of Pentecost was 50 days after uh, Christ's resurrection. And so they're preaching, and Stephen is preaching. And as he's preaching, the Jews become upset with him because they can't stand, they can't withstand his argument that Jesus is the Messiah. And so we come here to verse 51. When we have the stoning, and Stephen is the first uh, Christian or New Covenant martyr, and Stephen was preaching to them. They can't withstand it. And coming to the closing of his sermon, he says the following in verse 51. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit. As your ancestors did, you do also. Which of your prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and whose 
and murderers you have become. You received the law under the direction of angels and yet have not kept it. Verse 54, when they heard these things, they were enraged and gnashed their teeth. Imagine people so angry that they're gnashing their teeth, gritting their jaws so tight. And Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So Stephen had the Holy Spirit, which all of us who believe in Jesus Christ receive from God. His audience didn't have the Holy Spirit because they didn't believe, but they knew the word that Stephen was preaching because they received that in their own scriptures, in their, in their own Old Testament, in their Torah. They, they knew what he was saying was true. But because they were stiff-necked, and their hearts and their ears were closed to seeing the heavenly vision that Stephen saw. But they had killed the prophets. They, All of these prophets, all of the prophets, you would think that these prophets were would be idolized by them, but they weren't. I mean, they killed John the Baptist. There's a, there is a legend, we don't know exactly how Isaiah died, but there's a legend that the king in, in Israel sawed Isaiah in half to kill him. All the prophets were persecuted. Elijah himself was persecuted in Israel. The ability to see God's message from heaven comes from a heart and a mind that is open to the Holy Spirit and the faith to trust that the word of God is true. The Jews saw the coming of Jesus in the judgment that came upon them and came upon their temple. And because of what Isaiah wrote 500 years before, and he wrote this in Isaiah 65. We're going to try this. This is something I've tried before in the past, but we're going to go through Isaiah 65 here and just see what he wrote. I back up a little bit. Um, so here it says, if we go go back to Verse 10 in Isaiah 64, your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Now remember that Jerusalem has become a desolation. Jerusalem was totally destroyed. Our holy and beautiful temple where our ancestors praised you has been burned down and all that was dear to us lies in ruins. Lord, after all this, will you restrain yourself? Will you keep silent and afflict us severely? So we see the destruction of Jerusalem. We see the destruction of the temple. And then coming into chapter 65, I was sought by those who did not ask. I was found by those that did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that did not call on my name. One thing that we have to remember is that at this time in the first century and before, there was only one people that served and followed Jehovah, followed God, followed the God of Israel, and that was the Jews. 
all the other nations, the Romans, the Greeks, no matter where you went, they didn't follow the Jewish God. They didn't follow Yahweh. Yahweh was only followed by the Jews. So here in the first verses of chapter 65, he, God is saying, I was sought by those who didn't ask about me. I was found by those that didn't seek me. The rest of the world, all the other nations, the Gentiles, weren't looking for God. They had their own gods. But Israel had God, but they, they had a hard heart and stiff necks towards God. Verse 2 says, I spread out my hands all day to a rebellious people, the Jews who walk in the path that is not good and following their own thoughts. These people continually anger me to my face, sacrificing in gardens and burning incense on bricks. So they are following false idols. They're sacrificing, they're worshiping false idols. They're sitting among the graves, spending nights in secret places, eating meat of pigs and putting polluted broth in their bowls. They say, keep to yourself, don't come near me, for I am too holy for you. Sounds like the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were too holy for the people. They kept the people at, at a distance and didn't follow God's commands in loving their neighbors and in, in having mercy upon others. These practices are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all day long. You ever sat around a campfire and the smoke gets in your eyes and gets in your nose? God is saying that the Jewish people were like that annoyance of smoke in his face, the way they acted. Look, it is written in front of me, written in front in the covenant that God had with them, the covenant, the Mosaic covenant. It's written in front of him. I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will repay them fully. There was curses and there were blessings within that covenant. And God sat silent. In fact, when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, before Moses got down from Mount Sinai, they'd already built a golden calf. God said to Moses, Moses, stand aside. I'm going to wipe these people out and I'll build a nation just out of you. And Moses begged God not to do that. God was patient and merciful with the Jews for, since the time of Moses, 1,500 years to the point of where uh, Christ came. God was patient, but now the patience is done. The end of the age has come. For your inequities and the inequities of your ancestors together, says the Lord, because they burned incense on the mountains and they reproached me on the hills, I will reward them fully for their former deeds. So the judgment that came upon Jerusalem, that came upon the temple, was the reward that they got for breaking the covenant that they had had with Moses. The Lord said, As the new wine is found in a bunch of grapes, and one says, Don't destroy it, for there's some good in it. So I will act because of my servants and not destroy them all. So God is saying, like if you have a bunch of grapes and there's a couple of good grapes in there. So don't throw out the whole bunch of grapes. There's some good ones there. God will save a remnant. Those Jews during the time of Christ, Peter was a Jew. John was a Jew. James was a Jew. There were Jews who believed in the Messiah. That was the remnant that would be saved out of that 
bunch of grapes. So there was a remnant of Jews. And I will produce descendants from Jacob and their heirs to the mountains of Judah. My chosen ones will possess it, and my servants will dwell there. So those are the those are the Jews who believed in Christ. Those are the servants of Christ. They're still descendants, but now they're following the Messiah. Sharon will be a pasture for the flocks. The valley of Achor will be a place for herds to lie down for my people who have sought me, though that remnant of Jews who sought the Messiah. But you who abandon the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who prepare the table for fortune, fortune was a deity, and who fill your bowls mixed with wine for destiny, destiny was another false idol, I will destine you, the play on words, I will destine you for the sword, and all of you, all who kneel down will be slaughtered. Because I called, and you did not answer. I spoke, and you did not hear. You did what was evil in my sight, and you chose what I did not delight in. Christ came. He called them. He spoke to them. They didn't listen to him. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. Look, my servants will eat, but they my, my servants will eat, but you will be hungry. Look, my servants will drink, but you will be thirsty. Look, my servants will rejoice, but you will be put to shame. In the New Testament, you see the disciples calling them servants of Christ, doulos. They, they're slaves to Christ, my servants, God is calling them. This is also reminiscent of the Beatitudes. Those who are hungry will be fed. Those who are thirsty will receive drink. Here, the servants receive food and drink, but the Jews go hungry and they go thirsty and they're put to shame. Look, my servants will shout for joy with a glad heart, but you will cry out for your anguished heart. You will lament out of a broken spirit. You will leave, you will leave your name behind as a curse for my chosen ones, and the Lord God will kill you, but he will give his servants another name. So the name of Israel, the name of the Jews, is left behind as a curse, but God has a new name. And we see within the book of Acts that that new name that was given to the servants of God was Christians. Verse 16, whoever asks for a blessing in the land will ask for a blessing by God, by the God of truth. And whoever swears in the land, the land, remember, being now the land of God, the land of promise, the land of Israel, the new Israel, in the new covenant, will swear by the God of truth, for the former troubles are forgotten and hidden from my sight. So we go from a time of judgment in that age to a new age where all the former troubles are forgotten, all the past sins are hidden from God's sight. In verse 17, for I will create a new heavens and a new earth and the past events will not be remembered or come to mind. So we see that as we go through this, that Israel was being judged by God, just like he had judged all the other nations who worshipped idols. Israel was treated no different than all of the other nations. And the new heaven and the new earth 
is the new covenant. As I said, the Jews only expect, only believed in two ages, this age, the age they were living in, and the next age, which was the age of Messiah. This age was the age of the covenant. The next age was the age of the new covenant that God was going to make with his people. So at the same time that Jesus closed out the old covenant, he brought with him the new covenant, the covenant of the kingdom of God. Now we've gone over this before, but let's look at Hebrews here in chapter 12, and we'll look at verse 22. Now here in this passage, the Hebrews writer is talking about they receive the covenant back at the, you know, the beginning of of chapter 12, they received the Mosaic Covenant from Mount Sinai. The mountain trembled and there was smoke. And here in verse 22, he says, Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, not Mount Sinai, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. So the Jerusalem in Judea was in the earth, but the Jerusalem now that we come to as believers, is a heavenly Jerusalem, the heavens and the earth, the new heavens and a new earth. To myriads of angels, a festive gathering. Festive gathering means it was a party. You come to a, we, we have a party going on. To the assembly of the firstborn, whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not reject the one who speaks, or if they did not escape when they rejected him who warned them on earth, even less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. His voice shook the earth at that time, meaning from Mount Sinai, the mountain shook. His voice shook the earth at that time, but now he has promised, yet once more, I will not only shake the earth, but also the heavens. So the book of Hebrews is being written in about AD 68. The war is just beginning between Rome and Judea. It's still two years before Jerusalem will fall. And he, the writer of Hebrews here says, yet once, God says, and this is a, a quote out of the Old Testament, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression, yet once more, indicates the removal of what can be shaken, that is, the created things, so that what is not shaken might remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful by it, we may, that we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So Judea was shaken. Jerusalem was shaken. The temple was shaken down. That kingdom, the kingdom that the Jews had with the Mosaic Covenant, was removed and a new kingdom, the new covenant, was put into place. So instead of coming to Mount Sinai, we have come to the mountain of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, 
to all of these angels and and we are not judged by God as Israel was judged because we have salvation through Christ. And we have now come to this mountain and we've come to this new age. So therefore, since we are receiving this kingdom that can't be shaken, let us be thankful. We serve, serve God acceptably. And this brings us then to what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 19. He says, For the love of Christ compels us, since we have reached this conclusion, that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. This goes back again to that same statement. God created a new heavens and a new earth, this new covenant. Even though we knew people in the old way, now we know them no longer. Even though we knew Christ in the old way, we know him no longer. We now know him in this new way, in this new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. We now live in a new covenant. We live now in a new heaven and a new earth in this new age. What would be the sign of the end of the age? The end of the age was the end of the old covenant, the end of the Mosaic covenant. During that period of time, there was a transition between the old age and the new age, the old world and the new earth, the new heaven and the new earth. We now live in that heavenly Jerusalem, that heavenly kingdom, the heaven that Stephen was able to look up into the heavens and see Christ at the right hand of God in his glory. That's where we live. We live in Christ. Christ lives in us. That is the new paradigm for us, the new heaven and the new earth. And as we close out this episode, in the next episode, we're going to talk about what that new heaven and that new earth means. What does it mean for our resurrection in coming future? As Christ will look at what the first century believers were thinking about in looking at when this was happening. Remember, all of the books in the New Testament, even the book of Revelation, was written before the destruction of Jerusalem. They were looking towards that day coming when the new heaven and the new earth would be established by God, the new age. 
So until then, if you have any questions about this, feel free, comment, send me an email, leave a, leave a question in these notes, and I'll be glad to get back to you, to talk to you, to discuss it with you. But until the next episode, can God bless you and keep you in your heart and in his mind. Thank you.